So uh, I think we estimated about 600 people there that day. And uh, I got an email from some people that said, man, they've never seen God spoken so much at a community event. I know that we had stopped and we prayed for people. We had a lady who lost her son and we brought her up on stage and prayed for her. And we had some young men who were really touched by Moses' testimony. <clears throat> he grew up in foster care and they he was crying, and so we brought him on stage, and we prayed for him, and I just know uh, that you guys had prayed a lot, had a little prayer tent going on over there, and that's a hurt community, and that was a community that we brought together for one day, and I think that was awesome, so kudos to y'all. Thank y'all so much for the donations. I know a lot of y'all came out, helped, and volunteered. Um, all right, Whew. all right, now we're going to get into the, my testimony, okay? So y'all don't look bad at me at the end of this. I, I believe that when we give our testimony, we should be open and honest and tell even the uh, non-flattering things about ourselves. I had lunch with uh, Ray and Becky, and I was telling on myself. So when I tell on myself, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell on myself. And uh, Ray was like, oh, my word, you got to share that. And I'm like, what? No, that was lunch talk, bro. So um, anyway, how many of y'all know or really truly believe that what the devil meant for bad, God can make good. I mean, you got to believe it because I was, I was right there. I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Da, 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 da. Uh-huh. And then September 24th, 2007 hit, and I was like, whoo, and I was struggling. I was struggling to see the good in any of that. I couldn't figure it out, and I was like, man, I don't know what happened, but everything in my life just flipped upside down and turned around. If I walk across stage and fidgets, because I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, but trying to kind of go back a little bit before that date, I've got to give you a little bit of a backstory about myself. I grew up <clears throat> in a household where my dad was a raging alcoholic, and he uh, pushed my mom out of a two-story window and held her by her neck and showed my brother how to rope dope and all that stuff. So we... We grew, I grew up in that environment. We grew up in a small trailer house that was run down and beat up, and so beat up it had holes on the floor, and we lived in 10 acres of land, right? So, you know, trailer houses sit off the ground, right? So this is why I'm scared of snakes, because in those, I was in the living room one time reading a book, and a snake crawled up under the floor and through the, the thing, and I screamed, ah, mama. So my mom runs down the hall and is like, what? And I'm like, snake. And she's like, ah, and jumps on the couch with me and bypasses the only phone that we have for help. And I looked at her like, you just bypassed the phone, and that's our only line of defense. Because, you know, we don't have cell phones. They didn't stay on our hips back in those days, right? So uh, eventually she pushed me off the couch to get the phone to jump back on the couch to, to call the neighbor to say that there is a snake in the house. But on multiple occasions, that has happened. Like, they either came up there, there were, I remember one time it was over a door frame, and that's like, so if you want to not be friends anymore, try to joke with a snake, it's not going to happen. We're not going to be friends. <clears throat> so anyway, my parents always kind of said that they were a believer, but they weren't, you know, active in church or anything in faith. So the first time I think I remember even hearing about God or Jesus when I was like 10 or 11 years old and my mom came to me and said hey do you want to go to church and I was like what's church and she's like you know church and I was like oh. and she's like where God and Jesus is and I was like well who's that the reason my mom wanted to go to church is because my dad had a revelation at that time that he was going to quit his drinking and get right so it was great it was great stuff so that lasted about a year 
and then he's back to where he is. But in that one year time, my parents took us to church. So that's when I really kind of was like, whoa, there's something better than what I'm going through right now, you know? Because it was an everyday thing with my dad. I remember my mom one time to get my dad to stop drinking thought it was a great idea for me and my brother to draw pictures of my dad dying in a car accident. So we drew these pictures and my mom put them up on the hallway and then when my dad woke up to see these he was raging mad and he punched a hole on one of each one of those pictures down the hallway so we had these holes in the hallway. So the fact that my dad was going to go through this radical change was great. So this is where I thought wow there's something better than this. So we go, I remember we go to church and I remember from about 12 to 18 man I was on fire. I was on fire. I was like, man, and I give it credit, really, last week you got a, a lady that gave a testimony of being a teacher, I watched her sermon online, who's that lady, there you are, I give all my credit to my, my uh, basketball coach, my basketball coach saw this environment, she would always take me aside, and she would always continue my talk with God, and I remember joining Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and she held Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and at that time it was a little bit easier, back in my day, to talk about our faith, or teachers were. So she would always kind of keep me going. So I remember my faith was really, like, on point. And then life happened after high school, right? So I joined the military and uh, the police department, and I was holding Bible studies in my dorm room, but when I went to the military and came back, I kind of was like, you know? Um, but kind of give you a backstory on that, when I was growing up, I was real heavy into martial arts. And I bring this up because this is going to kind of tie into what my testimony is right now. So I did martial arts from 12 to 18. I held a second degree black belt in Kempo, and I competed a little bit here and there. But when I went to college, I got something new, so I started going, getting involved in judo. Well, judo is an Olympic sport. I don't know if any of y'all know that. Anybody know judo is an Olympic sport? Judo's an Olympic sport, so when I started judo, man, I was like a natural. I was like, what? All my coaches were like, you're so great. I made it to collegiates. So, um, but when I made it to collegiates, I couldn't go because I had did a six-month delayed entry program to the United States military, so I had to leave, do my basic airborne and uh, AIT school, and then I came back, and then I got back into judo, and my husband at the time, or now husband, uh, he was in judo, so I met my husband there, and... Uh, Came back, and I remember getting back involved. was going to go back to Collegiate, and guess what happened? September 11th, 2001. So off again, I go for a year <clears throat> in deployment. So I take a break from my judo there, come back from deployment, come back to judo again, start training. Well, I tell my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, hey, you know, I really want to take this seriously. We're pretty good. And so I started training up in Fort Worth with Nikki Cubes, his coach, who's an Olympian. I started training down there in Garland, uh, Dallas Judo, uh, over in Bedford, and I started getting ranked. I ranked six in the United States for my weight division. I was good. I say that to tell you this. That became my everything. How many of y'all know to be an Olympic athlete, you have to give almost everything up? Well, at this time, when... My now husband, we have gotten married at this time. He's very supportive. He's very supportive, and he goes, yeah, baby, you can do this. You can make this run and whatnot. Well, I had to have a job 
So I worked at the police department, and I worked uh, deep, at that time, it was deep nights. So here was my schedule. I'm going to tell you my schedule, I'm going to tell you my husband's schedule. My schedule was I went to work at 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., right? Now I get home, or after work, I would do a cardio routine, and then I would go home, and I would sleep. So I'd get home around 8, 8.30. I live in Red Oak, so that's like almost an hour drive from here. So I'd get home about 8, 8.30, go to bed, get up around 2, 2.30, get something to eat, and go train. I would train all the way up till it was time to go to work. So I left the house. I'd either be in Fort Worth, Irving, Bedford, Dallas, Garland, wherever. Most of the time it was Garland because I could go straight to work from Garland. My husband's schedule was this. He was day shift working research development at Alcon Labs. He was a scientist at the time. Now he's almost a nurse practitioner. Thank God we're almost done with school. <laughs> and uh, he's, uh, he has to be at work at 8, so he leaves the house at 7. He doesn't get off work till 5. Do we see a problem? Do we see a problem? We had no kids at this time. We were married for two years, and uh, he was trying to be real supportive. But that takes a toll on a marriage, right? It takes a toll on it. So I remember my husband coming to me, and he was like, baby, you got to take a break. you got to give me some me time. I mean, this can't be your everything. And I looked at him like he had lost his mind. I looked at him like, what? Now, mind you, this is in September 2007. He tells me this. The Olympic trials are April 08th. Okay? So I'm six months from the trials. Six months from the Olympic trials. I rank in the six, top ten goes. You compete. If you win, you get to go, right? So he comes to me and he goes, I'm going to leave. And I look at him like, well, go. Bye. I'll see you later. I can't believe you're going to do this to me right before the Olympic trials. Are you insane? And he's like, I'm just asking for a little bit of time. And I was like, well, you can bounce. I'm like, I can't believe you're going to come over here and do this, you know? And he was, and so we fought, we fought all the time. In our even five seconds of togetherness, we fought. And I felt like he was always trying to catch me at something, right? So I always felt like he would come to wherever I was training and sit there and watch me. And I'm like, why are you watching me? But if he just wants to spend time. And he would sometimes come and work out because he, he was a judo practitioner too. And that would just cause a fight. And we fought every, every time, fought. So I was like, you know what? You can bounce. You can go. I'll see you later. I don't care. I don't care what commitment I made. When I tell you this judo was my entire life, it was everything. It was my idol. And listen, listen y'all, we got to watch it, what we put on our kids too. When we make these sports, our kids is idle because it will consume them. Because this consumed me. So, having said that, I view that as God was trying to get my attention. Now I view that, right? God's trying to get my attention, right? I'm going to ask y'all this question. I want y'all to really think about this question. Because really think about it. Because how you answer this question can be very dangerous. How far do you want God to go to get your attention? Okay? Think about that. Because if you say, God, go as far as you need to go to give me your attention, he will. You may not like it. You may not like it. Everybody know the story of Jonah and the whale? 
God told Jonah to go. Jonah said no. And God said, oh, right? Okay. So be careful because if you tell God, do everything. Yes, God, go as far as you need to go to get my attention. He may send a well to your life. He may send a well to your life because I know God sent a well to mine. Okay. September 24, 2007. I told my husband to go file for divorce, didn't care, and I went to work like a normal day. I go to work, it's dead outside, there's nothing happening. In fact, it's so dead out there that I'll go to Whataburger with some friends at work to go eat. We stay there for like two or three hours because no calls are coming out. Next thing I know, I leave, I get in my squad car, I start to drive off, DPS 101 comes over. Who knows what DPS 101 is? It's the helicopter. The helicopter from Dallas comes over and says, Garland, Dallas PD is in a pursuit chase with a shooting suspect. We need your assistance. I'm like, fantastic. Something's finally going on tonight. And I'm like, great. And they're like, we're coming up Garland Road. All right. I am on Garland Road. I was like, ha-ha. So... I decide that I am right there. I hear on the radio that this suspect is at Garland and Kingsley. I'm at Garland and Miller. I turn my squad car around. I turn my squad car around. Uh, Clearly, whoever said they were at Garland and Kingsley were not because I had four seconds by the time I got out of my car before that suspect busted the intersection and is coming straight for me. I am standing in the back of my squad car with my stop sticks like this. And I look over. And now my stop sticks are tri-folded. They're not supposed to be that way. So I have no time to get proper coverage, no time to actually unfold my stop sticks already, pre-throw them out, and get ready. Sometimes it just doesn't happen the way it should happen, right? So I see the helicopter. I go, wow, that helicopter's actually close. I can't handle it. It must be a Garland and Kingsley. Look over. Here he comes. So I decide to make a decision. Well, I'm already caught out in the open. I might as well throw my stop sticks and try to you know, bust his tires, right? So I take it, I throw him out like this. I see him go over my tires. I hear pop. I hear, uh, I see, what I see, this is important, is plastic go everywhere. Because when he ran over my stop sticks and they were tri-folded, they smushed against each other, right? They're not supposed to be tri-folded. They're supposed to be out in a straight line. That way when he pulls them over, I pull them back and my other squad cars don't run over them. That didn't happen. So when I see his plastic go everywhere and he drags my stop sticks in front of my car, you hear pop, I feel pain. I'm like, well, how embarrassing. piece of that plastic came back and hit me, and now I stop stick myself. So I'm the little dumb rookie, right, that's like, oh, my God, what happened? I stop stick myself. How do you do that, right? I'm sitting there, wow, what a retard. So I'm sitting here like, man, what is going on? So I go over there and I think to it, I'm like, well, I got to get the stop sticks out of the road. So I run in front of my squad. I get my stop sticks. I start walking. I look down at my leg. I see blood just start pooling out of my leg. I'm not thinking about it. I'm sitting here and I'm kind of looking at it and I'm rolling my stop sticks up and I'm looking at my leg and I'm thinking, what happened, you know? So this is where I think, then I think, oh man, I don't have a change of pants. It's four o'clock in the morning means I can't do my cardio workout today and now I gotta go home because I can't finish my shift like this and now all the guys at work are gonna make fun of me you know this is what I'm thinking 
So I get into my squad car, because I already tell him over the radio, he ran over my spikes, he's on flats, this is a Dallas chase, so Garland's not getting in it, we're just assisted with the stop stick. And uh, so he's running on rims, the bad guy is at this point. So I go to the station, and uh, my buddy's like, bro, what happened? I said, man, I don't know. And this time it is all down my leg. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I called an ambulance to get a Band-Aid. I don't know. Uh, I walk in. My, I do not realize that I have been shot in the leg until I walk in with my other buddy, and he said, what happened? Did you get shot? And I was like, no. And I looked down, and I was, so my buddy cuts my pant leg, and I can see a through and through bullet hole in my leg. <clears throat> through and through. And I was like, ah, oh. that bleep, 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 shot me in the leg, <laughs> right? So I'm going to stop right here because I want to show you my squad car video of me getting shot. Um, just so we remember that we're going to cut that stream back there, right? So I want to show you. So when you see me walk back across and I look down at my leg, look at my right leg, you'll see, and this is kind of... A, it's an old video, okay, it's 07, so it's VHS. You'll see where the blood is pulling up in my right leg. That's when my stop stick has rolled up. Going down by. You're going to see me run across, get my stop stick. About right there, I go, what happened? And there in the corner, you can kind of see blood's pulling up in my leg. That's it. At that moment, when I realized that I had been shot, I got a little like, wow. What now? See, I just told my husband he could file for divorce because I was too busy for him. Right? I was too busy. God was trying to get my attention. Hey, you're about to lose everything, your husband, for this idol. And I wasn't even giving God his time. Ask me if I was going to church on Sunday. No, that was a training day. Ask me if I was doing anything on a Wednesday. No, that was a training day. So when I was 12 to 18, I gave God my everything. When I got out in the real world by myself, I gave him nothing. So he gets my attention. Do I think God shot me that day? No. That man that shot me did that on his own free will. But God can make anything that the devil has for his glory, right? How many of us do understand that God will take everything and everyone away from you so he can see his grace? And that's what he needed to do. At that time, I needed everything to take a, be taken away. I needed, it was going to take a bullet for me not to train anymore. It was going to take something. Because clearly my husband leaving wasn't enough. So <clears throat> my buddies call my husband. It's 4 in the morning. We live in Red Oak. It's like a 35-minute drive from Parkland. I get loaded up in the back of the ambulance. By the time the ambulance gets there, opens the door, who's, you know who was right there at the ER entrance waiting on me? My husband. And he, I remember he said, he said, baby, are you okay? 
I remembered. He said that. And I said, yeah, baby, I'm fine. I'm okay. I get there. They start doing some work on me, and they realize that it had almost nicked my artery. It was the width of a piece of paper away from my artery. I had to go get some angiograms done. Um, they thought I was doing internal bleeding in my leg. Um, it destroyed all my nerves. I have no feeling in part of my leg to this day. This is 11 years later. I still can't. You could put a knife right here in my leg right here, and I can't feel it. Um, I developed restless leg syndrome out of it. I have sciatica in my back because of it. There are nights that I can't sleep. Um, and it's very bothersome to this day. I am grateful for everything I feel on that. Everybody knows the, when Paul asked God to take the thorn from his side and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. I think, I feel that I, when I can't sleep, I go, man, you know what, God, his grace is sufficient for me because that bullet saved my marriage. That bullet saved my marriage. I have three kids to this day because of it. My husband and I have been together 18 years. And we have a, a really good, I mean, our life is great. I mean, we, do we have our normal fights? Yes. Does he get on my nerves? Yes. Does he not do things around the house? Yes. He should be cleaning right now. He's probably not. We're trying to sell it. <laughs> so, um, I remember sitting there in the hospital, I don't know what I think I felt at that time. I remember being upset, uh, depressed, but then I remember thinking, I see my husband here who just told me he was going to leave, and now we're sitting there wondering, you know, realizing that we really do love each other a lot. My pastor at the time, my mom calls my pastor my childhood pastor, and he comes up and he sits with us at the hospital. And he kind of have a revelation at the hospital, you know. We kind of sit there, and he's basically telling both me and my husband that, you know, this isn't good for either one of us. Because when this is good, then this is good. Right? It's not the other way around. This was not good at all. I didn't give God anything. Nothing. That judo consumed my everything. So I remember my pastor sat there and he told me, he said, Jessica, you need to be a warrior for Christ. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you are on the front lines of God's battlefield. And I was like, yeah, sure am. You know, because right at this point, I just almost died, so everybody's got their little revelation going of like, I got to get right with Jesus, right? And I'm like, yes, sir, I do, and yes, sir, I am. And he was like, so when you take people to jail, it should break your heart. And I was like, <laughs> time out. Where are you going with this, right? <laughs> I'm like, do you know what kind of people we take to jail? And I'm like, it's not, I mean, I know I high-five people, like, we take the worst of the worst sometimes to jail, right? And he's like, it should break your heart. And I was like, uh, all right, you guys explain this one. And he does, and he says, it should break your heart, Jessica, because you should see that Satan has such a grasp on these people that you take to jail, right? You should pray for him. 
So he kind of tells me, I'm sorry, he kind of tells me this, and I'm like, you know, I'm starting to get pumped up and whatnot, and I'm like, yeah, and so my husband and I would go to marriage counseling, and we kind of fix our marriage. You know, it took me a year just to even return back to work because I had such bad nerve damage in my leg. So by this time, it was this year, you know, I have our first child because you will find out through my testimony that every time my husband and I go to marriage counseling, we have another child. So... <laughs> We are done with marriage counseling. <laughs> no, we're not. I just went ahead and said, go ahead and fix me. So I, if we have to go back to marriage counseling, I'm done having kids. I ain't having any more kids. No more kids. I've had two, and then we adopted one. So we have three kids. One's adopted. She's 19. And then I have a nine-year-old, and I have a four-year-old. Uh, I digress. I don't know where I went with that. So anyway, um, so we fix our marriage, my husband and I do, because I have all the time in the world now because I have nothing to train for. And uh, I start coming back to work, and I start thinking I'm going to be intentional with, with my job. So I start making this black book, and, people are, uh, and I start writing people's names down in this black book, and I start putting down what they did, and I would pray over this black book because, you know, I take so many people to jail, I wouldn't remember everybody or everything. So I did that, right? <sighs> I'm about to tell on myself. <laughs> so I told you I was going to tell on myself. Um, I want to tell you a story because, not, you know, it's great to say that, but sometimes, you know, when you struggle with, you're struggling, you know, these things aren't overnight. So I don't want y'all to think that I had a traumatic event and then all of a sudden everything was great or graver. All of a sudden I was this huge warrior for Christ because it takes time and it takes obedience. And sometimes I'm not as obedient, you know. Like I told you at the community event when God was like, do it at Gatewood. And I was like, what? Come on now, sir. I'm trying to do all that. And I, and I argue. This is another time where God was trying to get me to be obedient, but I wanted to share this story because uh, just to show you, so I struggle too. <clears throat> so there's this lady up here in Garland, and she was, she was running a lot of activity out of her household, right? So we started getting complaints on this lady, and we'd go over there, and uh, she was, we thought at that time that she was just running a bunch of drugs out of the household, and so she was smart. She knew not to let us in, and no knock and talks weren't working. And uh, we would take her to jail for little things. And every time we'd take her to jail, uh, she would always be in the back of my squad, and she would cuss me out. I mean, she had words, and guess what? That guy got all of my flesh, so we had words back, right? <laughs> so she would be like, man, this ain't nothing charged. I'm going to be out next week, or I'll be out tomorrow. And she was, you know. And so it was kind of like a little cat and mouse game because we knew, we knew she was doing something bad at the house, but we couldn't just... We couldn't figure out how bad it was because we just didn't have enough evidence to really go in there. So lo and behold, one day we get a bunch of our narcotic guys in there and we start doing some undercover stuff and then we get enough evidence, we get a warrant, and we bust her, right? We bust her and she is going, she's got some mess up in there. A lot. So anyway, I, I'm the one, I'm rolling up, I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> We've been working on this house for like eight months she is finally going down. Oh, she cussed me out like 300 times. I'm going to be the one today. So I go over there. We arrest her. She's got two little kids in the house. They're little. I can't remember. I think they're like two and three or something. The, the stuff was so bad, CPS had to come and take the kids. I'm taking her to the jail. She's in the back of the squad car. She is on overdrive with the profanity against me, and I am like, 
Oh, yeah? Well, I'm the one going home today. You know, I mean, I'm rubbing it in. I ain't going to lie. Everybody have those people in your life where you're like, whew, hot day. So anyway, we get to the jailhouse, and man, we're going back and forth. We're going back and forth. She's letting me have it, and I'm letting her have it, and, and I feel like I'm, the, I'm, I'm winning in this battle, you know. Put her in the jail cell. And the way, if you've ever been to our jail, the only way to get out of the jail is you've got to push a button. And you push the button, and the jailers on the camera release the door, and then you as the officer, you can go out of the jail. So I go over there. The jailers take her. I'm like, bye. You know, I go over there, hit the button. Nothing happens. I'm like, huh. I want out. <laughs> Nothing happens. I'm like, have no fear. Maybe the button's broke. I'll get on my nifty radio, turn it to the jail channel, and I go, hey, can you let me out of the jail? And they're like, yeah, we're trying. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. At that moment, it was like the scene from Lion King when Mufasa is yelling at Simba. God came down, and he was like, I ain't going to lie. I'm going to tell you exactly what he said. How dare you? Who do you think you are, Jessica? How dare you talk to my child like that? How am I supposed to use you? You're supposed to be on my front lines, and you can't even do the simple little things. I was like, oh. And I'm arguing. And he, I mean, you want to talk about conviction. He's like, you turn your butt around. And you go back there, and you tell her I love her, and you tell, and you go pray for her on top of that. And I was like this. I was like, oh, no, sir, not today. I ain't going to be able to do that today. If you saw the video in the jail, this was me. I said, I ain't doing it. I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Sir, I got, I mean, Yahweh, I was like, you know what she said to me? And he was like, I don't care. I was like, I'm just going to wait until somebody comes through that door and I'm walking out because you, you asked it too much today. I ain't going to be able to do that today. Uh-uh. No. And he was like, if you don't, and I'm like, mm. and it was like 10 minutes of this, right? I'm sure my officers were sitting there like, what is wrong with Jessica? You know, because I am not doing it. Everybody have that one thing that you know God is trying to tell you to do, but you're like, oh, that's too much and I ain't going to be able to do it, so we're going to bypass this one and you're just going to wait for the next one? Okay, it's not just me, right? Okay, I was, I was good. I was like, wonder if it's just me. So about 10 minutes, this goes by, and the door's not opening. Ain't nobody coming in. One of the busiest places I know is the jail. So I was like this, fine, 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 fine. Go over there. I go to the SR cell, which is a suicide risk cell, because she told our jailers that she was suicidal because we took her children away. So now... When I turn the corner and I look, I see her. She is huddled up in the fetal position in the corner crying because her life is over. She's no longer trying to get at me and I'm trying to get at her, right? <clears throat> I remember I go over there, I look over, and I'm like... <clears throat> She's like, what? And I'm like, oh... God wanted to tell me to tell you... That he loves you. You got it right. That's like how I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to be obedient here. Struggling. And she looked up and, and uh, 
God don't love me. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. So I remember we had this long conversation, and she came over, and I put my hand on the door sill, and she put her hand on the door sill, and I prayed for her, and I told her it was going to be okay. And I, t- I remember telling her that, you know, yeah, you know, that you don't have to walk this alone, that God walks right behind you. He's just waiting for you to stop, turn around, and take a few steps towards him. He's never left us, right? So when we, when we fall... He's, where, he's there. Just wants you to turn around and put your arms out and give him a hug. So I remember that. <clears throat> so I end up leaving. Lo and behold, when I hit the button, the door opens. No lie. I can't even make this up, man. I can't. I can't make it up. The door opens. I was like, really, God? Seriously? But see, I needed to learn a lesson that day. Right? I needed to learn a lesson. I wasn't being a warrior. I was picking and choosing. Shouldn't have. Speaking and choosing. How many of y'all know that um, we don't have to be fixed or wait for God to fix us to have a testimony? Right? We can have a testimony in the midst of our brokenness. I think sometimes so many people think that, well, I'm going through something. I'm just going to wait till I'm not going through it anymore before I talk about it. And you don't need to. You have a testimony, even if you're still broken. If you're still struggling with something, I, still, I struggle with my leg to this day. To this day, I struggle with it. I'm not going to wait until it's healed. I'm not even sure if I want it to be healed, to be honest with you. On my watch, I have it where pictures flip up through my watch. Every time I turn my watch, a new picture comes up. I have a picture of my leg on there after it's been shot as a reminder to myself. So I think sometimes when I can't sleep, that's a reminder to myself. And it's always one of my, I'm going to check myself today. So my leg's bothering me today. Let me check myself. Am I where I need to be spiritually? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? For me. Not for everybody, but for me. You know? So I don't think I, I don't, I don't know if I want that taken away because it's, It's my, my, uh, what do you call it? Like, it's my reminder. My reminder to be like, am I, am I where I'm supposed to be? <clears throat> so if I was to wait and go, well, I'm still in problems with my legs and not share my testimony, you know, you don't have to wait. You're your own testimony even in the midst of your brokenness. Right? right. right. Good, good. So I remember... Um, Sometimes our trials and our tribulations are not curses. They're opportunities. Right? And I believe that that day, September 24, 2007, was the opportunity I needed. You know? God loves us so much that he'll put us through things, even though they're things that we may not want to go through. But he loves us enough to, to put us through that. I think at the time, if you was to ask me, hey, Jessica, would you like to get shot in the leg so that you can uh, see God's love for you? No. Is there another way? I mean, <laughs> I'll take a different route, <laughs> right? But um, I would relive that day a thousand times over for the lessons 
and the grace that he showed me after that. I mean, I, it saved my life. And it's as crazy as that sounds. So before I close on that, I wanted to um, like leave y'all with a parable, and then I know David has some questions that we're going to do. <clears throat> and if y'all heard this, it's kind of went around social media, but I love his story. Anybody heard of the old man and the horse? The old man and the horse? Nobody? Okay. Well, good. So there's an old man, and he's got a horse, right? And they live in this village, and if you have a horse, you're pretty rich. So one day, the horse runs away, and the neighbor comes up to the old man and goes, man, that's some really bad luck. I'm sorry that happened to you. It's really bad. And the old man's just like, eh, who's to say, right? Three days later, the horse comes back with 12 uh, stallions, wild horses, and, they come, and he brings 12 wild horses. So now this man, old man in the village is really rich, right? And the old man comes, or the neighbor comes up to the old man, and he's like, wow, man, what great, it's a good thing that horse ran away and brought back all these horses, right? That's some really good luck, man, awesome. And the old man's like, yeah, who's to say? Yeah. <laughs> a few days later, his son, the one who helps him around the ranch that, you know, really does all the work that keeps the whole business going, is out shooing one of the wild horses. The wild horses kicks and breaks the son in the leg, and now the son is unable to help the father. Now they're falling back on financial hard times. The neighbor comes back and is like, man, I bet you wish that that horse never would have ran away and brought all those stallions back because now he broke your son's leg and y'all are in financial trouble again. And the old man's like, huh, who's to say? A few days later, a big gang comes up, and they're looking for able-bodied men to come out and fight a gang war for them. So they get all the men out of the village, throw them out in the street, and uh, put them out there. They get to the old man's son, see that he has a broken leg, sees that he's disabled, and walk right on by him and pick on somebody else. And then they leave. The, old man, the neighbor comes back to the old man, and he's like, Whoa, I bet you're really glad that that horse ran away, brought those stallions back, kicked your son in the leg, and then, right? And the old man's like, eh. Who's to say? <laughs> so the point of the story is, is that maybe we should wait to see what God's plan is for us before we start going out and telling everybody what bad luck we have or prejudging our life for ourselves. Because if you had asked me back in September 24, 2007, I had the worst luck ever and I was really down on myself. But now in 2018, I can stand here and say that was the best thing that ever happened in my entire life because it made me the person I am today. My trials and tribulations didn't define me. I didn't see it as a curse. I see it as an opportunity. And uh, I would relive that day over and over and over again to have the result that I got today. So I want to leave you all with that. All right. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just give her a hand. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Thank you. Wow. Well, we just wanted to thank Jessica for coming out and sharing with us hope. There's more. Amen. I, I'm stuck on your your button. I'm telling you it didn't I'm, work. I'm stuck on your button because 
No, I sometimes we sometimes our destiny is behind closed doors. Like we we're praying for God to open the door, and you're not done where you're at. That is true. You're not done. We're yeah. looking for opportunities. We're looking for God. What's the next thing? And He's like, I. You're not ready for the next thing. You need the now thing. So be aware of the closed doors that God is not opening because God never keeps anything from you, but he will keep things for you. The very fact that he does not open the door shows you how much he cares about the well-being of your soul and what you actually need. Amen. Thank you so much for that. Well, um, um, we just wanted to. As a community, as in, in Garland, we love our city a lot. And we know that as we know this is our city, but we're also ambassadors of another kingdom. And we introduce our king to other people who live in our city. And we introduce them to a kingdom and invite them in living in that supernatural lifestyle and in, in living in the goodness of God, but how many of you guys know that we can't do that just as a as just a body? We actually need we need governmental authority. We actually, Paul says in Romans thirteen that all all authority all authority. Everybody say all all, all authority was given to us by God. So whether you like it or not, it don't matter. It God appointed that person. What we have to do is learn to steward our hearts and say, God, what is it that you're saying to us through the people who have been appointed? And so Jessica actually is a minister of God hired by the city (laughs) to do the work of the Lord. The Bible says that they do not bear the sword in vain or the nine mil or whatever you carry. But... But (laughs) so but we had some questions because we want to team up and we want to not only support what they're doing, but we know that they are supporting the kingdom. The government authority in our land, even in Garland, is promoting the work of God in all in all around. That's why we have government anyway. And um, we want to just to ask her some of the things um, uh, some of the things that we can do and just to make us aware of some of the needs in our city. So here's here's the first question is what changes have you seen, whether positive or negative, do you see happening that is actually a c- concern for you in your department? Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I don't know why I'm looking at my watch. I was looking for my gunshot, like, this is why I want to be here. <laughs> um you know, I, obviously the narrative has changed a lot. Um, obviously, the we don't always get portrayed in the best light, you know. Um, but I think for our city, our city is doing a very good job. Our citizens are very good to us. We always have great citizens. Um, <clears throat> I just think right now it's just that, you know, everybody just needs to have an open mind. There's not, there's not a... Not every officer is the best, and not you know, or has a, a moral compass or code, but that doesn't define the few, don't define the many, you know. So at this point, I think that um, just for 
what if we as a PD would like is that people, you know, hear the whole story, get the whole story, don't come to judgment so quickly, try to see it from our side, from our point of view, um, before uh, mass chaos erupts. <laughs> but our city has been very good. Our city is a very good city. Our citizens are very good to us. So we haven't, as our city, had much uh, issues with that. When uh, you, you mention the officers with not as heightened of a moral compass than others, um, I see, just as, as you mentioned that one person who you ministered to, who obviously had some issues, didn't have a moral compass, and you had to execute what is the law of the land. It has to be done. But yet grace, that was a, an opportunity for grace to make its way and touch this person. Um, let's say that we... we um, how, how can we as a body, can we minister to officers who maybe don't have that? How can I encourage someone to let them know, hey, we love you. We're behind you. How do we do that? What, as an officer who, is, who does have a moral compass and is loving on people and administering the grace of God, if I was to come up to you as a, you know, just normal Joe, what is an encouragement to you? If you were to come up to me as the officer? No, just as a, just a normal citizen. What, what can we do to encourage our officers and make an impact for you guys. I know this isn't, this is kind of an offshoot of that right. question, but how can I encourage officers that are going through stuff? Um, we do have, we do have a, uh, um, who is it? Oh, Becky, do you know where Brother Ken's church is? Off of Centerville? Not, yeah, is it New Life Fellowship? New Liberty. Yeah, New Liberty. Uh, <laughs> Brother Ken Ashlock, he he from New Liberty. They they're very involved in the PD. They they do our all our prayers and uh, if uh, an officer requests a chaplain because they don't have one, uh, the PD does offshoot to to Brother Ken. But that doesn't mean that if if open heavens is open to that, it'd be something that I think it would have to go up our admin as as another thing. Um, but usually for our officers, it's just I think about. I know I have officers that come up to me who are seeking spiritualness. Um, so just anybody has to be willing to be able to spread that, you know, and not be fearful to spread that. And uh, so it's, it's very it's very hard because, you know, our PD is made up of different everything. So um, if they're seeking it, you know, they can get it. Um, but it's just like the Bible, you know, if we seek God, he'll reveal himself to us. And, and so. So just. Um, I think being there the way you guys were there for the community event uh, and the officers saw that and they saw this church and they saw Gideon's house and they saw open air campaigners and they saw First Baptist Garland and then they saw Friendship House. I mean, they see it. And they see it, and for those that are struggling with their faith, it's there. So it's like, in my mind, you know, it's, it's there, but they have to take that step. And it's just like addiction, right? You're not going to kick addiction unless you want to kick addiction. So these officers who, who are seeking, you know, if they're seeking, 
being where you need to be, right? Being where God puts you. And if you're in their path and they want to divert to your direction, then they're going to come to your direction. Amen. That's good. So how can, this is kind of along the same, but it might be worded a little bit differently. How can we as a church or churches assist in meeting any of these challenges? I'm not, not referring to doing police work, security, but in the area of serving or giving to improve certain areas around our city. How can we as a church join with you in creating that environment? Yeah, and I think I think y'all already do, to be honest. I think you guys, uh, you know, when I saw that question, I was like, you know, faith by action, right. you know? Uh, what is it that they say, uh, if you have a faith with no deeds, it's a faith that is dead, mm-hmm. you know? Um, right. You guys have already done two community events with us, and uh, just being there is huge. Um I'm pretty sure that people who came to that community event wasn't coming to sit there and have someone pray for them. I'm pretty sure they came there to have their kids hunt for Easter eggs, right? And then they saw the prayer tent going on, and they were like, hold up, I need some prayer in my life. And they went over there. That's faith by action. And that's exactly what uh, you guys as a church needs to do. Just, Just your presence alone that people go... They may be that 10 or that 11-year-old kid who's never heard anything about God because their parents don't tell them. And then all of a sudden, they're like, who are you guys? Oh, we're Open Heavens Church. What's church? Let me tell you. Right? And you just divulge it all to them. There are still people here. You don't need to go to a third-world country to find people who don't know Jesus. Okay? So um, there are people here. There are kids here. So just coming out, if you... To these events, being you, setting up your tent. We're here. We're here. If you need us, they're going to come. They're going to come to you. So just keep doing your faith. Keep doing action. Don't keep it all right in here. Just throw it out over there, you know? So. So are there any areas of the city that you feel could use assistance in some way, such as helping single mothers or fathers? Or maybe assisting with kids and reaching them who have, like, troubled homes, Mm -hmm. uh, poverty, elderly, uh, people that might need assistance with, you know, with lawn care. I mean, you guys, how many of you guys have seen the video where, like, the uh, 911 gets a call because um, McDonald's didn't put pickles on the sandwich? And I go, oh, my gosh, they should not. They need a friend to call, not 911. (laughs) Um, <laughs> how can we? How can we help? Uh, are there are there areas where you know that are just mm-hmm. standard that we can pick up and make it easier for you guys? How can we do that? You know, one thing I always um, I know our our church First Baptist Red Oak is starting to implement, and uh, the Oaks down in Red Oak is implementing, or is it the Avenue? I think it's the Avenue. Um, and I think would be great here, and I don't know if anybody does it here, is a uh, program for for teenage mothers. That is a big thing right now. Uh, we have a lot of kids, kids having babies, uh, or eight single parent mothers that are 18, 19, that have gotten themselves in something. There needs to be a ministry for them. Um, <clears throat> I know, I think it's the avenue and like I said, one of our members, 
uh, goes to this because uh, she found herself in that situation and now we're adopting it. Where it's a ministry where these, we can, as a PD, can go, you know what, I understand you're pregnant, you're lost, you're alone, baby daddy just went to jail for beating on you or something. Hey, Open Heavens Church has a little advocacy center here. They, they meet every other so days, right? And someone needs to head that up. Where, they, And it's someone who needs to be educated about what's going on. Like, this is, how do we get them on Medicaid and Medicare? How do we, you know, find things for them? I know that they do baby showers for them. So they'll have some church members come up and be like, okay, well, we're going to do a little baby shower. Just basically give them things that they need, you know? How do we set them up into... Uh, housing if we can get them in housing instead of just leaving them in the environment they're in and not only that but now they're loving on them they're getting the word you know and there's just like these meetings that go on we struggle a lot as a city um, with that we go to a lot of domestics where this is happening and a lot of these and then through that maybe they can be a recommitment you know like a celibacy commitment of some type you know and then there's kind of some, there's that help for them. That is one big need that I see uh, out in our community right now. We got single parent kids, you know, that, and there's nowhere for as a PD, we can tell them to go get help. We give them a blue card and say, call this number, you know. And there's nobody who's passionate enough to say, hey, I know where to go to get financial assistance, I know how to get you on Medicaid, Medicare, we know where to get some formula for you or something, because I have seen these kids dilute their baby's bottles just to make their formula last. They're like, no, we don't put two scoops, we put half a scoop. So like these kids are drinking water, you know? So, something like that. Homework, y'all. This is homework. Mm. This is where faith becomes real. Amen. The message of the kingdom becomes tangible, and it actually looks like something. Um, and there's the whole package. There's, it is really the whole package. Amen. So let's do this. Um, I want you guys, can you guys just extend your hands towards Jessica? And Father, we just thank you for this woman of God. Lord, you have kept her. You have preserved her. Lord, you have called her to this area for such a time as this. Garland has been needing, Lord, a, uh, just this prophet, <laughs> a New Testament prophet who is answering the call of God in this land. She is speaking life. She is speaking resurrection life, grace and the heart of God. She is, uh, she is bringing the reality of the kingdom, Lord, through her heart, through her actions, through her family, through her testimony. And Father, we just thank you that you are empowering her. You are giving her, Lord, the keys of the kingdom to unlock all of the resources of heaven. Lord, and we stand ready, Lord, and we are co-laborers together. We thank you, God, that even our body is saying, Lord, send us. We are joining this warrior of God in declaring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I do want to say one more thing. I forgot. I wanted to leave you all with this. Was uh, understand that God uses ordinary people to change the world. We're all just ordinary people, and if we can all just change the world. So 
Because he just uses ordinary people, y'all. So. Amen. Take that, y'all. That's good. Thank y'all. You guys have a good day, Ramel. We have Life Group tonight. If you guys don't have a Life Group, check on the app, and there, there's some there's some apps out there. Uh, we would love to get to know you guys. And if anyone needs prayer, we God God is ready for breakthrough, and He's ready to touch you and give you hope this morning. Amen. You guys have a good day.